Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 18. This is a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, and it's to the chief musician who spake unto the, the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That's what you have in the title, I'm sure, in your Bible. It says, And he said, now here's where you have the first verse. He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. First of all, notice David said, I will love thee, O Lord. Most heartily would he love the Lord. God deserves the warmest kind of love from us for all of his mercy and grace. And we should be constantly saying in our heart, I will love thee, O Lord. And he says, O Lord, my strength. First of all, in this first verse, David knew the source of his strength. He counted that God was his strength. By the way, God is our strength as well, isn't he? And if we do, do not realize that, we don't have any strength in ourselves. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Sometimes we think we can do it in the strength of the flesh, in the arm of the flesh, or with our own power and ingenuity and our own strength. We couldn't even have physical strength without God. We cannot have mental strength, and certainly we cannot have spiritual strength. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Notice, if he would grant you, this is by grace, isn't it? According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power. Now, where is it? In the inner man. Paul realized that the place that people really need strength is in the inner man. And our strength is from within, and God is the source of that strength. And David recognized, and he knew the source of his strength. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if all of us could know the source of our strength? And then look at verse 2. The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I, I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. David praised the Lord for these seven wonderful things. First of all, he says, my rock, which is my stability. He's like a rock, or like a rock for, for stability. You know, you get a big, huge rock out there, it takes a bulldozer to turn it over, doesn't it? Sometimes one grown in the side of a mountain, it takes a lot of work, too, to get it out. And so it's, it's a symbolical or like a picture of stability. So God, he says, uh, the Lord is my stability. He is my rock and my fortress. What's a fortress? This means security and my deliverer. And he says, my God, my strength. Notice those two are connected together. We've already talked about his strength. And then he says, my buckler. Well, first he says, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. If God is to be all of these things to us, we must have our faith in Him and trust in Him. And He will certainly be all of these. There's seven wonderful things here that would be good if we just looked them over when we uh, get time. And then He says, my buckler. What is a buckler? Protection. And my salvation. The horn of my salvation. The horn means the power of our salvation. He's the one that has wrought our salvation by His power. And the salvation he gives us produces power in us to overcome sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then he says, 
and my high tower. High tower. That means he's always overseeing and watching over us. You know, you get a tower. We have a tower up on the mountain here, right above Two Rivers Park. They used to have the uh, forest uh, rangers and people in there to look down on the area to see where there's a fire. I don't know if they still man it much anymore. But anyway, they used to do that and look over Rio Dosa. They could spot a fire in an instant. Well, you know, God is our high tower. He sits above and he looks down and he sees uh, with an all-seeing eye to take care of us in every situation. So we have all these seven things. And then in verse 3, we find not only did David, David uh, in verse 1 uh, knew the source of his strength. Verse 2, David praised the Lord for all these seven things, stability, security, deliverance, strength, for, uh, protection, salvation, and his, his high tower. Then verse 3, David resolved to continue to pray to the Lord. Look at this. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. So he's resolved. How many people are resolved when uh, the, the time arises and there's a need? He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He had already praised him for all these various things, seven wonderful things in verse 2. But now he says, I'm going to pray. Praise and pray. Trust in verse 1. Love in verse 1. And now he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. You know, a lot of times the reason we're not saved from our enemies is because we fail to do the calling. We have not resolved to put it before God and to pray. Someone says, well, I have a lot of problems. I have a lot of enemies. I have a lot of troubles out here. The world and the flesh and the devil's trying to uh, get the best of me. Well, do we resolve to call upon God and turn it over to Him and put it before God? And when we do, we find He's the deliverer, as He said in verse 2, right? And it says in this third verse, So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When I call, I'm going to be saved from mine enemies. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So we need to call upon God. And then verses 4 and 5, David reveals his predicament. Oh, he was in a bad shape at times. Remember, Saul chased him all over and sought to kill him. He had uh, those that were warring against him constantly. He had all of his oppressors. All of his enemies round about. And you know, even when David found a, a chance to get rid of Saul, he was so much of a man that he wouldn't do it. He says, no, I'm going to let him live and let God take care of it in due time. And you know, God will avenge you. God will take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. And so, look at verse uh, uh, 4 and 5. We see his predicament. He says, the sorrows of death compass me. And the floods of ungodly men, they were just like a flood coming in upon on him, uh, made me afraid. They were just overwhelming him. And it says, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, and the snares of death prevented me. He tells of his predicament. He's kind of like Jonah. Remember in the book of Jonah? In fact, he uses somewhat the same language. In Jonah chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. The fish had swallowed up Jonah. 
And it says, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. He knew he was coming out by faith. Look, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depths, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom, bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. It's a good time to remember, isn't it? When my soul fainted within me. Fainting means giving up in despair. In other words, I'm weak. I can't do anything. And my prayer came into thee, in unto thee, into thine holy temple. And then, old Jonah, in verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, throws this in. He had learned a lesson down there in the fish's belly and all of this overwhelming feeling and being compassed about and the weeds wrapped around his head. No doubt that was inside the belly of the fish. I don't know what kind of things he had swallowed, but he swallowed Jonah along with some other debris. <laughs> and anyway, he said, the weeds were wrapped about my head. And he says, he learned a lesson. He says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. I don't know, mercy. I don't know why he throwed that in, do you? They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But he says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Uh, uh, I, uh, and then he says, salvation is of the Lord. After all that prayer of Jonah, and he came to the end of his prayer, he says, salvation is of the Lord. And that old fish couldn't stand it any longer, and he got rid of it. It says, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God says, that's enough. When you admit salvation is of the Lord, you come to the bottom line. That caps it all off. That's all that's necessary for a man to admit that total salvation is of the Lord. None of it is of works. None of it is of self. None of it is your own strength. But salvation of the Lord, and even the fish couldn't stand it, could he? And he got rid of it. Back in Psalm 18. So, in verses 4 and 5, David shows his predicament. Now then, in verse 6, we find David's prayer. Look in verse 6. He says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came up before him even into his ears. My, what a wonderful verse that is. What do we do in times of distress? Sometimes we get in despair and we give up. But David said, In my distress I called upon the Lord. What are we to do in time of distress? Call upon the Lord. This is David's prayer. And cried unto my God. Evidently, it was a very serious prayer, wasn't it? And he really cried out. He says, he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him. Everything we do is before him. And then he says, even into his ears. God is pictured. God is really spirit. But the uh, Bible, uh, Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But God has pictured himself to mankind because we are human beings that he has created as having the same features that we have. And though God doesn't have to have physical ears like we have, he hears. 
because he's all, he, God is all in all. And he reveals himself to us in human uh, terms, and he shows himself to have an atomy uh, like ours, and shows himself to be a being, a person. Otherwise, we wouldn't understand how God, the Spirit, God is Spirit, how a spirit can hear. But that's the way he reveals himself. So our cries come up to his ears, even into his ears. And then what about the answer to this prayer? What about the answer? Look at verse, uh, beginning with verse uh, 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the, of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. Boy, the earth trembled. The Lord has a large variety of weapons in his arsenal. And from verses 7 through 15, we're going to see all, them dis, all of them displayed, these weapons, which he uses to avenge his servants. You think God can't take care of things? Look at the earth, Look at the earth quake over in Japan. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills uh, moved and were shaken because he was wroth. I wonder sometimes if all these earthquakes in these last days are not a wake-up call to all of us. To begin to realize the Lord is powerful. I mean, they say, I think the last report I saw on the news was 3,000 confirmed dead, a little 3,000 plus, and about, what, 20,000 injured, and about 200,000 homeless. That's a, a nearly a quarter of a million people. And if you see the pictures on CNN news and see all the uh, the terrible tragedy that's happened there, and that's only one. They've had them in California. They have them all over the world. And they say there's more coming in the next few weeks over there. If one comes, a great earthquake comes on top of what's already happened over there, look at the desolation, the destruction that's going to be. And God can get men's attention. You know, he's not powerless. He has a lot of weapons in his, in his arsenal, as we have just said. And we're going to see some of them from verses 7 through 15. Someone says, and by the way, you know, a lot of these people that are predicting uh, that we're in the tribulation and such, but I believe we'll be taken out of it as God's people because the Bible says that he'll take us out of the tribulation before it comes. But those that, pre that predict that we're going to go into it and through it, some of them, make those kind of predictions. Uh, they use all these uh, scare tactics to try to get you upset. Now listen, friend. Let me tell you something. God's Word doesn't want us to be upset about it. He wants us to know, but He wants us to know that He's God. And it doesn't mean you should live the rest of your days in fear of what's going to happen. Now that's the opposite to what you usually hear on radio and television. And that's the opposite to a lot of preaching you hear. But let me give you a psalm. Look in Psalm 46, and I want to show you this. Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2. You need to latch on to some of these things and really hide them in your heart. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We know that to be true. And he says, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Therefore, we'll not, we, we won't fear. You see, if it were not for God, we'd be afraid of everything. 
Old Adam says, I heard thy voice and I was afraid. Fear came because of sin. I heard thy voice and I was afraid. He says, what made, what made you afraid, Adam? He says, why did you hide yourself? Has you, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Well, see, and fear has constantly uh, taken hold of the hearts of men. Now, listen, live the rest of your life trusting in God, and whatever comes, realize, realize that it's under His power and control. Just do that. And you say, well, preacher, that's easy to say, but when, the, when, he's, when he, His wrath is coming out and, and all these troubles come, how are we going to stand? We still need to hold on to that to our faith in God because it doesn't mean it won't touch us. It doesn't mean that it couldn't happen to us. They just had one up in Oklahoma City, 4.0, I think. Have you, did you see it on the news? 4.0 quake. Oklahoma City. Whole area. I don't think a lot of destruction. But you see, these things can happen anywhere. And it doesn't mean we should be blinded to them, but it does mean... Uh, on the other hand, not to walk around every day just afraid of everything that happens in this world. God is still on the throne. And He still controls it all. And He says, I'll not fear though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the midst of the seas. Because He says, God is our refuge. Now, back to this Psalm 18 and verse 7. And we're talking about the things that God has uh, to answer prayers, and by the way, he will avenge his own elect who cry unto him day and night. And this was, as far as David was concerned, uh, God's wrath, uh, much of it was anger displayed in view of his uh, enemies that would overtake him, and God showing his power for David's sake. Uh, Romans 12, verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Listen. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we don't have to avenge ourselves. It says, But and shall not God avenge his own elect that cry unto him day and night in Luke chapter eighteen, verse seven and eight. Okay, in uh, verses seven through fifteen in our text, notice what it says here. Then the earth shook and trembled, the foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken, because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. We could let this represent a lot of catastrophes upon the earth. We could talk about the lightning. We could talk about the thunder and lightning on Sinai. We could talk about the fact that there's volcanoes. We could talk about that uh, uh, in verse 9, He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub. And did fly, we could see God in His majesty and all the angelic hosts at His disposal so that He could ride on a cherub. And, you, and He did fly upon the wings of the wind. You know, you, you say, I saw the wind blowing. You don't see the wind blowing. You see what the wind does when it blows. Nobody sees the wind. The wind's invisible. Say, I saw the wind blowing. Well, no, you saw the trees moving. You saw the dust flying. You saw something blown over. But the wind, you didn't see. You saw the effects of it. God has power, doesn't He? It says in verse 11, He made darkness His secret place. His pavilion round about Him were dark waters and thick clouds of, of the skies. At the brightness that was before Him, His thick clouds passed. Hailstones and coals of fire, the Lord also thundered in the heavens. Look at this. And the high... and the highest gave his voice. 
hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. See, all of these things are God's arrows. All of these things are God's arsenal. And he can use them to wake us up. He can use them against the enemies of God's people. And he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Verse 15. Then the channels of the waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. He evidently refers somewhat to creation when the Lord spoke and the, the earth uh, was in chaos and with, was without form and void. And the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God recreated out of the original creation and brought back into existence all the things that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth became or was without form and void. A great time, long period of time of chaos. We don't know what happened before that. But we know that God's brought these things uh, back into existence. And he said to Adam when he created him, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Replenish the earth. So these people come along with a prehistoric man and say, Well, now that proves that Adam wasn't the first man. Well... It proves that, that there was a pre-creation, but it, it doesn't say that Adam was not the first man upon this earth as we know it today, because the Bible says he was. And there's all kinds of things could have happened in that pre-creation period. So don't let these uh, atheistic scientists that uh, try to tell you all about God's creation because of something they found, or uh, tell you that a little old rock is a is a million or two million years old and try to disprove your Christianity, boggle your mind because they don't know it all either. <laughs> they may think they do. In fact, the Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are made were not made of things which do appear. And so that's Hebrews 11, verse 1. And the only way you understand it is by faith. And all of these theories and all of these ideas of how it really began, nobody knows but God. And he tells us we have to accept it by faith. And I don't think men were ever monkeys. Some of them act like it, but they... But we were not supposed to be. But anyway, let's go back to this. It says in verse 16... Verse 15, Then the channels of the waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. Now we find David's prayer was, uh, was uh, given in verse 6, and then God answered his prayer down to verse 15, and now he finds his, this is David's deliverance. What happened here about his deliverance? He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. His deliverance is seen in verses 16 through 19. He delivered me from uh, my strong enemy. He actually delivered David from Saul, didn't he? And all the other enemies. And from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth. Also, into a large place, he delivered me because he delighted in me. See, David had God's favor and blessings. It didn't mean David was sinless, but it means he was trying to live for God. We find that certain verses in this psalm where David will state and, and 
maintained his uprightness or righteousness before God. We'll see that in a moment. It doesn't mean he was claiming sinless perfection, but you know there is a difference between a man trying to live right for God and a man that doesn't. I'm talking about outwardly. And you shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that you say, well, I don't do this or that or the other. That I don't cheat people. That I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to live a Christian life. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. And you're not bragging that you're better than someone else. When you show that your character is different than an ungodly person. That's what you're supposed to do. If there is no difference, you have a lot to worry about. Right? The Bible says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. We know that we're not holy in ourselves or righteous within ourselves, but God can make us better than we would have been apart from His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. And that's why I say we've got good people here in the Red Osa Baptist Church. We've got people that... That care about us and that uh, love one another and that try to live a Christian life. And that should be our purpose. All right, let's go on down and find what it says. Now, in verse 20 on down, verses 20, <clears throat> let's see if we can get the connection. Through 24, we have David's reward. Verses 20 through 24 was David's reward. We've had David knew the source of his strength. David praised the Lord. David resolved to continue in prayer. David's predicament. We've studied that. David's prayer. David's prayer answered how he's just had all of these things come against the ungodly because of of his prayer. And then David's deliverance in verse 16 through 19. Now, David's reward in verses 20 through 24 because he was living right with the Lord. You know, God will not reward you if you go off and try to live sinful and ungodly and, and, and uh, disregard His Word and His teachings. God's not going to reward you for that. You don't reward someone when they do wrong, do you? You reward them when they do right. I remember I used to, and Daryl and I would go out and eat sometimes. We'd be in a restaurant, and the waitress, if she was, you know, try to treat us right and everything, we'd try to leave it nice. You know, generous tip. But if one came along there and wouldn't wait on you, wouldn't wouldn't do anything, and you try to get a hold of them to get a cup of coffee, or, and finally you have to walk out with a, without even finishing your meal because you can't get any bread to eat with or something. Well, do you put down as large a tip for that one as you do the one that really takes care of you? Not really. In fact, Darrell won't do it at all because he used to wait tables. And he, he said that he'd try to give service. Well, you know, when you try to do the right thing for people, you expect the pay, don't you, or the reward. And David was trying to live right for God, and God rewarded him. In verse 20, the Lord rewarded me, look at that, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. You know, we used to have preachers that preached, well, you know, that the Lord had delivered them from drugs and alcohol, and brother, they act like they're so proud of it. Well, I'm proud of them, but I'm thankful that God kept me from doing those things, too. You know what I mean? It's just as much the grace of God that keeps you out of trouble as it brings you out of it. So why not be kept out of it and not have to endure the hardships along the way? We find a lot of people think they have to go through that. You know, when I heard some of those preachers preach, they were all either converted drunkards or converted alcohols or convert, converted this, you know. And I'd hear them preach and i think, well, 
The only way that I can be a good preacher like those guys is go out and be real mean like they were. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that, though. God saved me from that from a child. And that's why I love these little children coming in. And they don't have to go through all that. And listen, you young people today and tonight, children, boys and girls that are little, that are small, and young young people and teenagers and growing on up, you don't have to experience all those things. Just make up your mind you're going to live a good, clean Christian life for God. And start now. And do it because you want to. Do it because you love the Lord. Do it because He loves you. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because it it will pay off and be rewarded. It doesn't pay to do those things. My mother, she didn't teach me much about the Bible, but every time I'd leave the house, she'd say, Son, be a good boy. Well, I knew that was not to go out and steal. I knew it wasn't to go out and drink. I knew it wasn't to go out and, and, and do bad things. And my dad was in law enforcement most of his life up here. And, you know, I, I had seen so much of what alcohol did that I just didn't want any uh, to drink it. And when I was a little boy, uh, my mother had this great big old thick family Bible. And in the middle, it had these, these blank places for pledges. And they had one page after the other read the same thing, but it had room for various names. And there, there was a promise in the middle that says, I promise with God's help never to sell, buy, or drink. Listen. Any intoxicating beverages. I came in crying. I told mother, I said, Daddy showed me all the evils of alcohol, liquor. I came in and I said, Mother, I want to I sign that. And she said, Son, do you know what you're doing? I probably wasn't as big as Swade, wasn't as big as uh, uh, Sachet probably, about her age. Just a little boy. And I, I wasn't that old. So I said, Yes, I do want to sign that. And so I signed it. And to this day, beloved... I've never bought or sold or tasted any alcoholic beverages, beer, liquor, wine, whiskey, any of it, by the grace of God. I said, I promise with God's help. And everything you do should be with God's help. And I haven't told this very many times, but I'm telling it for the sake of these young people. Because you don't have to experience all those things that a lot of people think you have to uh, participate in to be popular. Well, I wasn't too popular, but I was thankful. And I've been thankful through the years that God kept me from it. And I still am grateful for it. And I don't say that, that I'm, I'm just saying this, that by the grace of God, and I trust that I, just by saying it might help somebody. Let's go on to this next. It says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Hath he recompensed me, he's repaid me. For I have kept thy ways, O Lord. And have not wickedly departed from my God. In other words, not deliberately and wickedly departed from God. Do you want to wickedly and deliberately depart from God? That's rebellion, isn't it? For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. He observed the word of God. Look at this now. I I was also upright before him. Notice the emphasis there. We may not always appear upright before others, but we should. But he says, I was upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Someone says, well, I couldn't keep myself from doing doing this particular thing. David, David says, I kept myself from mine iniquity. And then from verses 24 on through uh, 20, I mean 25, let's read verse 
verse 24, and then we'll get into verse 25. Therefore, and he connects it with all. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me, repaid me, rewarded me, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, in his eyesight. Notice how many times we found that. Before him, in his eyesight. And then look on down in verses 25 through 28. We have God's rule for dealing with people. He says this. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Isn't this much like the Beatitudes? Says Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And by the way, I won't have time to turn to it because I have a lot yet to say and only ten minutes to say it in. But if you read Matthew 5, you'll find these things correspond to what I'm saying here. And I have all the references written down, written down but I won't go into that because you can read Matthew 5 for the Beatitudes, you'll find them. So it says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the upright, with an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. God's going to reward it. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. With the forward, thou, thou wilt show thyself forward. And that means the proud, the proud in heart. And it says for, uh, in verse 27, for thou wilt save the afflicted people, but, but will bring down the high looks. He's going to save those that are afflicted. But he's going to bring down the high looks. He says, For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. He's saying God will be my light. Didn't Jesus say you are the light of the world? The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now verses 29 through 45. This is the next section. We're going to find another thing mentioned here. David's victories. He's going to speak of his victories. First of all in 29. He escaped from his enemies. Look at this. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. How did he escape from his enemies? By God's grace. By thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. You know, God has a way of escape for his, his children. The Bible teaches, you remember when uh, in Acts chapter 12, where James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword... Peter was put in prison. The angel came in the, and uh, opened the prison doors and broke the shackles and, and the chains off of Peter. And he led him out through the gate. And Peter thought he uh, had seen a, a vision. And he got out there and it was real. Got out there and he thought he'd seen a vision, didn't he? And remember, it says prayer was made uh, by the church continually for Peter. When Peter got out there, let me read it for you. Acts 12. Get on down there and read a little bit of it. And so, let's see. In verse 9, we've already mentioned, but verse 9 it says, And he went out and followed him. This is Acts 12, verse 9. And wished not that it was true, but uh, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto an iron gate which lead, leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. <clears throat> and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was uh, come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. By the way, look back in verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 5. It says, Many were gathered together praying. 
And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Now look, here's the reaction to uh, a church praying for something to happen. Then when it happens, they can't believe it did. It says, And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. Couldn't be Peter. He's down there in the jail. You know, it just can't be him. I know he's in prison. But they didn't know that God had already answered their prayer. Sometimes the prayer, our prayer is answered before it gets back to us. Remember when old Daniel prayed? He said, while he was yet speaking, the message came back, and God already heard it and sent the answer back. Now look, and what did it say? And they said, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is an angel. But Verse 16, But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. Sometimes you and I are astonished when God answers our prayers. But he does. When I look back through the years, I find God answered prayer, God answered prayer, God answered prayer. And just now and just the last few days, and he's still doing it, and he's doing it every day. Used to be an old Methodist preacher on the Oklahoma City Station. He came on, and he's he's a wonderful Methodist preacher. And he says, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. That's the way it introduces a message every morning. Dr. E.F. Weber. And brother, he believed in eternal security of the believer. You talk about Methodists not believing it. He did. He says, what can eternal life mean but eternal life? He says, what in the world else can it mean? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, what else can it mean? Methodist preacher. Wonderful old gentleman. And then let's get on down. Where are we now? In, uh, in Psalm 18, uh, we got down to where uh, David was to escape from his enemies. Verse 29. We have to hurry now. Verse 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. He says his word is tried. It's tested. It's proven. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord's going to stand forever. We could stop and preach the whole rest of the message on the, on the effect of God's Word and the sureness of God's Word. He says it's tried. That means it's purified or refined. It means there's not a flaw in it. No wonder the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. No wonder the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing the sunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. No wonder the Bible says the word of our God shall stand forever. No wonder it says, add not to his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. So we need not add to them. Okay, let's go on. It says, he is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? Remember we studied in verse 2 about him being a rock. Stability. It is God that girdeth me with strength. There we studied about strength in verse 2. And maketh my way perfect. God guides us in his way. He maketh my feet like hind's feet. That means like a deer running. You can run away from the enemy. Or you can run and 
in, in uh, view of what he would have you to run for. And setteth me upon the high place, my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. <coughs> I wish I had about 30 more minutes. Look, a bow of steel. You ever seen the old uh, pictures where the, they take a, a bow and arrow that the Indians have, the bow, and they break it in two across their knee? But David says a bow, of, a bow of steel is broken in my arm. He can put the enemy's weapons, <coughs> he can make the enemy's weapons come to naught and just throw them down on the ground. Break it in two. Bow of steel. Verse 35, thou hast, all, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. That's protection, isn't it? As I say, I don't have enough time. And thy right hand hath holding me up. <clears throat> and thy gentleness hast made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. He's not on slippery ground anymore. He's on good, solid turf. Good, solid ground. <clears throat> I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that, that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet, for thou hast girded me with the strength Unto battle thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. The enemies cry to God, and God doesn't hear them. You know, God said that those that he had often reproved, he says, You would none of my counsel, therefore I will laugh at your calamity, I will mock with your... Fear cometh upon you. In Proverbs chapter 1, he says, When they cry unto me, I will not answer. Someone says, Can God be indifferent? He can to people that would refuse him and reject him and the enemies of God's people. He's going to refuse them unless they come in repentance. And these were not coming in repentance. They were coming in remorse. They, were, they just didn't want it to happen to them. They didn't want to lose the battle. That's all. There's a lot of difference between repentance and remorse. You know, a lot of people are sorry they got caught. They're not sorry they did it. And there's a great deal of difference, isn't there? Better be sorry you did it, not sorry you got caught. Now look, then verse 42. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. It shows how David uh, uh, knew he could depend on God. David could overcome his enemies. Uh, David's victory was complete. Complete. In verse 43, we find something else. Here is his fame. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people. Thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. David uh, became famous, but he didn't let it get to go to his head. Verse 44, as soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of their closed places. The Lord liveth. And blessed be my rock, he comes back again. And let the God of my salvation be exalted. In verses 46 on through 50, David praises the living God. And notice what it says. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee. O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. By the way, this verse is applied to words of Jesus in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, I believe it's verse 13. 
And it says, Great deliverance giveth he to his king, he made David king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, and he was the anointed, and it speaks of the greater anointed, the Messiah, to David and to his seed forevermore. David praises the living God because he creates, he sustains, he foresees, he overrules the plans and actions of evil men. He is glorious in all of his attributes. And listen, if you, in closing this psalm, can claim those seven things you find in verse 2, when I get through, 